Welcome in, everybody, and a happy week to you. I hope you enjoyed your NFL Sunday uh, weekend. We are back with Simon Short and Ronan Summers. Simon, Ronan, how are we doing tonight, man? Fantastic. Doing, doing good, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be back, and uh, thank you, everybody, for being with us tonight. Thank you so much for listening. If you've listened all year, we appreciate it. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, too. We'll, we'll get it right to it. Uh, starting off with the injuries, Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray. We won't go into the game right now, but the game just did happen. Had an apparent non-contact, apparent knee injury. Simon, I'll let you start in on that. Yeah, that was rough, man. It was like the third play of the game or something. I, I didn't even sit down yet. I had the game on, and I, you know, I saw the notification on Twitter actually before I even like heard it on the screen. And I was like, did this happen still in warmups? Like, what? What? And yeah, man. I mean non-contact non-contact the way he went down and, and the stuff they were saying about it during the game um it, it i i don't want to say anything i'm not a doctor but it, you know it sounds like everyone is worried for the worse in terms of a torn acl so not only does would that affect you know obviously end the season this year in a kind of toilet season for the cardinals but that's deep into next year man we might be talking about a full season for for the cardinals and and you know not having kyler so a lot of big picture things for that whole franchise and we'll talk about coaching potential changes later and the, the the team is a lot of old guys and a lot could be coming down the pike in arizona yeah you nailed it simon ronan i'm gonna ask you uh dysfunction is one word for the cardinals here anything else you want to throw in on this team yeah i know expectations were not necessarily super bowl but i think they were playoffs um and they've been just a complete disappointment. And going into the season, Kyler Kingsbury extension, that is not a good look for that front office with what their record shows, you know, how this has transpired. It, it might be a changing of the guard sooner than, uh, than we thought. Those of you in the audience who don't know, I'm just going to go ahead and throw something out here right now. Almost every week before we get on here, I try to make sure that we were prepared to discuss everything intelligently. And I almost invariably, I end up asking two or three questions that the guys are completely unprepared for because I didn't prepare them for it. <laughs> so we're going to take an over under right now. Simon, you first. What's the over under on how many questions I will ask that you guys were not uh, made aware of before the show started? Oh, I would always set it at like three and a half for you. And, <laughs> and you know, tonight with all the things we have on the docket, I'm going to take the over because it's just going to spawn off into a million other things. I, while Ronan was talking, I pulled up Steve Kimes history with the Cardinals, just in case you were going to ask, you're, you're a very GM oriented person. I wanted to be prepared for how long he's been there. It's a uh, 2013. So if you want to give me any bonus points here early on in the podcast, I will take those gladly. You have no idea how hard I work to not jump into all the off-season stuff every week. Because, like, I'm like, I'm like, no, save it for the off-season. It's okay. We got a few months hard. for that. <laughs> roll it over under real quick. I'm going to have to roll with Simon here. I'm going to have to go with the over. All right. So, over three and a half questions that I will ask you guys, which y'all were completely unprepared for because I didn't tell you they were coming <laughs> 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel. The, the 49ers just continue to win and look amazing in spite of these injuries. And, and here's another one. Debo Samuel high ankle sprain, four to six weeks. And that pretty much covers the regular season. And then from there, it's just a big question mark. Ronan, uh, 
how do you feel about this if you're a 49ers guy? Yeah, obviously it's concerning. Um, and Jerry Rice voiced his uh, unhappiness, disconcern or concern on social media, uh, talking about sending Debo Samuel up the middle, uh, having him run. It's This is kind of what we expected, right? Eventually, Debo Samuel was going to be utilized as that utility player, that kind of running back. Uh, wide receiver hybrid, and uh, eventually he was going to take one of those running back hits. And he is one of those physical receivers, but you know, the running backs take some of the most vicious hits in the NFL. And I'm not saying that receivers don't with those slants over the middle, but you know it's way easier to get rolled up on. It's way easier for the lower extremity injuries. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think we'll be seeing Debo run as much next year. It's an excellent point. They've already lost a running back for a few weeks. Christian McCaffrey is also the kind of guy who you never know. He could miss several weeks all, just all at once. Uh, it was a topic during the offseason for Debo Samuel as they went through the offseason talking about this contract as well. Cowboys offensive tackle Terrence Steele has a torn ACL. He is unfortunately out for the season. Simon, this is right up your alley. I'd like to know generically, how has the Cowboys offensive line actually been this year? And how big of a part of that has Terrence Steele been? Yeah, the offensive line for the Cowboys has been really good considering uh, pro bowler Tyron Smith left tackle uh, towards like quad in the preseason, just like completely destroyed it. Now, the good news is he's actually set to come back next week. It sounds like he's going to be in the lineup. Um, Tyler Smith, the first round rookie, that was a kind of a big question mark, big wild card. He was supposed to play left guard. He's been playing left tackle. He's been fantastic since week three or four. And now it seems like he might be kicked back into guard. Um, so so the left side's going to be strong. But Terrence Steele, he's actually been really good stepping in as the full-time right tackle after Lyle Collins left for Cincinnati. Um, he's been a big anchor for their run game, specifically him and Zach Martin next to each other on that right side. They really like to run behind those guys. Terrence Steele has been really good at that. He's got good feet, good power, good push. Um, so, so that's definitely going to be a bit of a drop-off, uh, right now, Jason Peters, it, yes, Jason Peters might be the guy stepping into that role. We're not hundred percent sure he played, um, a little bit at right tackle in this game against the Texans when Steele went down. So we'll see how they kind of move things around. They'll get into practice and figure it out. They've been figuring things out all season though. Um, the left guard position has rotated. Quite frequently, McGovern, I think, has played the most snaps there. Biotish at center has missed time. So they're no strangers to moving things around, and it's been above average despite all the injuries. So, you know, how Tyron Smith looks, how Tyler Smith looks kicking inside, it's all going to be really interesting. But Zach Martin anchoring there in the middle, I, I'm not too, too worried about what the Cowboys are going to look like moving forward. Simon, question number one that I did not tell you we were going to ask. All Here right, it comes. mark it. Uh, but I think you'll like this one. Would you leave the rookie Smith at left tackle and put the veteran left tackle somewhere else? Or would you do what it looks like the Cowboys are going to do and start moving people all over the place? You know, you hate to move things out of rhythm, right? Especially on the offensive line. Uh, Tyler Smith has been so good this whole time, but you don't know what exactly they've been working on in practice up to this point. So, I believe if everything went as normal with Tyron Smith coming off of IR, he was designated to return a few weeks ago from IR. So he's in theory been practicing for a couple of weeks. 
So you would think he's been practicing at left tackle. Tyler Smith has been practicing at left guard. In fact, they put Tyler Smith in at left guard for a couple series in this last game just to get him kind of warmed back up to the position before Steele went out with the injury. Um, and they would put Peters in there at left tackle. So it feels like they, and and of course, they all of training camp that was spent this way, yada, yada. I say all that to say that's the exact first thought I had. Tyron Smith, you're a veteran. You're just coming back. Get in there and plug up right tackle for us. But, you know, I think they might want to keep left side pass protection, right side run blocking, and maybe Peters can offer you a little bit more in that right now. I kind of doubt it, but. You know, it, it's. I think all things are on the table when they go to practice this week, and you know, the the whole thing with the offensive line come out with the best five guys, no matter what that alignment is. So that means Smith, uh, Tyron, that being at right tackle or left tackle, Tyler Smith at left tackle, left guard. They just got to put the best five guys out there. It should be fascinating. The Cowboys have all kinds of storylines to watch. Ronan, I'm going to give you the last two injuries. You pick out the one you want to talk about. We'll move on. Bengals defensive end Trey Hendrickson has a broken wrist. He will be out for multiple weeks. Not sure the exact number. And the Jets defensive lineman Quinnen Williams, just a calf injury, but these things can linger. He's 50-50 to play Sunday last we heard. Yeah, I, out of the two, I mean, Trey Hendrickson probably uh, raises my eyebrows the most with that broken wrist. He's going to be out the next couple of weeks. You know, the Bengals are on that playoff push. You know, the conference is not a guaranteed win. Division, sorry. Well, definitely not the conference, uh, but the division is not a guaranteed win uh, with Baltimore. Uh, they're they're going to be missing them, obviously, but they're going to be relying on a lot of depth uh, moving forward. Simon, let's talk about the game that just happened. The Patriots defeated the Cardinals 27-13. to 13. We already talked about the Murray injury. I think I want to talk a little bit more about how the Patriots quarterbacks look. We'll, we'll do a little bit more of that deep dive later, but how do you feel about the Patriots and uh, anything else you got on the Cardinals? Patriots, the thing that stands out is the defense. That's what won them the game. Uh, they they created points on their own. They had one of those uh, one of those scores, seven of those twenty seven points. They got after uh, Colt McCoy when he came in. I, I don't know what, how many sacks they ended up with, but it, you know, four, five, six, something in that range. But they were getting pressure the entire game. They were making things hard for everybody out there. I actually needed DeAndre Hopkins to get eight points uh, for fantasy, not because he's on my team. I needed him to win for somebody else. So that person would drop below me in the standings, and it was miserable to watch, man. Hopkins hasn't had less than 15 points in fantasy since coming back this season, and he could barely scratch eight together. The The Patriots defense was just everywhere, and it's, it's all, as always, it's just guys you – have never heard of or guys you're like that was a day three draft pick and, and they just continue to put it together so defensive coordinator matt patricia must be doing a good oh wait no he's the offensive coordinator which is why the offense is still really really bad um ramondre stevenson he also actually left the game so it'll be interesting to see if that's a long-term injury or not we'll get more info on that as the week goes but the patriots run game was bad mac jones you know, we'll get to his grade later, but just doesn't look that good, man. He, his accuracy is kind of all over the place right now. So Patriots not really putting together an, a, a great offense still to this point in the season, but the defense is, you know, maybe a top five unit in the league, and that's going to keep them in enough games as they go on this playoff stretch. Ronan, thoughts? Yeah, Simon, you mentioned that uh, Patriots defense in the, the corner, Marcus Jones, who uh, – is playing offense, defense, mm -hmm. probably special teams too. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, 
what are your thoughts uh, to the both of you of him playing a decent portion of the of the snaps on offense? It, it wasn't anything crazy, but he, he's out there on, on a decent basis. And you know, do you think that can that's a little bit of a roll of the dice, kind of like a Debo Samuel situation? He's already a you know maybe I don't know. Does he start for New England? He is a nickel corner. Um, actually, did he? No, he, he no. He came in as a nickel corner, dealt with some injuries. He's barely playing on defense this, uh, these last few games. He, he did a, about half the snaps tonight um, and, and last week, I think. So he's kind of in and out depending on matchups, being more of an inside guy. Do you think that's something that uh, you know, the Patriots could do moving forward, have a guy who's playing 50% of the snaps on defense and 30% of the snaps on offense? I mean that would be a pretty pretty awesome awesome type of a Matthew Slater Pro Bowl type of deal. I don't know what position he could get in for, but yeah, man, it all goes back to Troy Brown, man. Uh, Patriots from the late '90s and early 2000s. So they'll use him for whatever they need to, right? And you know, it, it makes you see what kind of dire straits this offense is in, where they're like, let's just get the fourth string cornerback and, and you know out on the field. But he did do it in college, so it's part of the scouting report too. It's not like he's never played offense before, um, but it is—it's a tough look. It's a tough look when you when you have to go to that, especially because it's not like it was in their game plan all season. It's something that they're just starting to play with. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, they definitely can. If anybody can do it, it's Belichick. Um, just to do weird stuff that you wouldn't expect, and. At some point, the question is just going to be, especially if it gets into a playoff time, is it still going to work, right? Or, or once people have enough tape on it, do do they set, does the red light go off when he's out on offense in the slot and you say, oh, it's a screen, oh, it's a quick pass, and, and you know, then then you just kind of what what's your next step, right? Is Patricia now thinking, okay, pump and go, send him deep, and and really mess with him? I I don't know about that. I love it. I, I think the Patriots are one of the few teams who can do this at the moment. I think the Rams and the uh, 49ers fall into that category. The Ravens fall into that category, teams that kind of know how to multi-option a lot of people. I think we're going to see more of it as the NFL continues to develop here over the next few years. But I will say, Simon stole it right out of my mouth. It's really an indication that the Patriots' offense is struggling so bad. I don't think if they had if they had the weapons they wanted and they were cruising, I don't think he would have ever been on offense at all, personally. Great question, Ronan. Anything else in Cardinals and Patriots? Uh, the only thing, you know, this just, you know, off rip, is Jalen Ramsey going to line up at wide receiver at some point this season? What, what I do hope you think? so. I, I mean, <laughs> honestly, all it takes is one more injury, and it's probably start, time to start talking about it. You have a new hashtag daily tweet to send off every day, Ronan. At, at Sean McVay underscore Rams, put Jalen Ramsey on offense. Hashtag daily tweet. Day one. I love it. Yeah, I hope we see it. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I'm sitting over here with my bucket of popcorn just enjoying the show, right? So I, I've got no vested interest in, in any of this working or not working. Just give me the more bizarre, fascinating stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm all for it. So, all right. Patriots with a nice win over the Cardinals who continue to just. Uh, any break that could have gone the Cardinals' way this year has not, and they've done enough damage to themselves as well. Chargers defeat the Dolphins on Sunday night football. Uh, Ronan, I'll start with you. What did you see in this game? What did you like? What did you not like? Uh, I did not like 
to his performance. You know, we talk about how accurate he is and how he's got one of the most accurate arms in the league. And then he goes on primetime and goes 10 for 28 against the guy that he won a pick ahead of, uh, who just so happened to go 39 of 51 for 367 yards and a touchdown. So, you know, there's been the, uh, the conversation about who should have gone over who uh, since the, the draft, uh, whenever the two were taken. And uh, at least last night, it seemed like Justin Herbert put that one to bed. Uh, in terms of talent, it does seem like Herbert does have uh, have the edge on that one. Simon, Chargers and Dolphins. My only award of the evening is the Birdman. Put some respect on my name, and it's for Justin H. Herbert. I don't know if that's his middle name, but yeah, th- this conversation should have been done like four games into their rookie seasons, but. Alabama heads and, and draft heads who who love to uh, couldn't step away from it. And again, this isn't me <clears throat> hating on Tua or anything, but the the talent discrepancy between these two guys has always been so stark and clear. And the only way you could be a person that definitively said Tua is so much better than Justin Herbert is if you only judge quarterbacks on team wins which you know even that uh, dolphins before now not doing that much better than the chargers right or um or, or just going off of this year and what the offenses look like we have to remember with the chargers this year they've only played like four games with keenan allen and mike williams on the field at the same time this was the first game both guys played like the full amount of snaps since what the first month of the season first six weeks of the season this is what happens when you have that ability, right? So for a majority of the season, Justin Herbert was throwing to Josh Palmer and Donnell Carter. I, I'm sorry. I know I'm saying his name wrong because I don't even know it. DeAndre. Thank you. But now he, he's got 12 completions to Keenan Allen, who just over and over again is winning on comebacks and up and outs, right? Because he's the best route runner in the league despite having a 4-6-40. Mike Williams, he's got a guy who's 6'4", 220 pounds and can jump who just mossed like three people in this game that nobody else on this team can do. So when he's missing both of those guys with elite skill sets, of course he was going to have, you know, his numbers weren't going to be that great. But if you're watching the games, you're going to see him make a pass like the one he made to Mike Williams for, you know, 40, 50 yards down the left sideline yesterday where he drops back evades pressure rolls outside the right hash throws back to the left side air yards for like 55 60 yards something like that and that's just a throw to a can't make and, and even though the first eight games nine games of the season herbert was throwing to somebody who's going to drop the ball uh or not be in the right spot or not be able to get there that doesn't mean he wasn't as good a quarterback as he is right so now that we can see the guys that he's throwing to that's actually able to make the play we get the results that we got last night and, and, and on the other end of it for Tua, we, we see what his limitations are. If you man up on his receivers and you make it so they can't open up into tight windows by playing man-to-man defense and you get enough pressure on him, you can make him an inaccurate quarterback because he can't adjust on the fly the way Herbert can. And, and that's just based on pure athleticism. That's based on arm talent. That's based on processing um, there's a lot to a can do, which is why he's still good and an above average quarterback, but he has his limitations. And when you 
pick at those like a nasty scab, then this is the performance that you're going to get. Ronan, let's talk about your Rams. Way back on Thursday night, it's hard to it's, it's hard to, it's, it's easy to forget how good a game that was because we played so many other games since then. But the Raiders were destroying the Rams for basically all the game until they weren't, <laughs> and then Thunder Baker Mayfield shows up and just destroys the Raiders, and and the Raiders find another way to lose a game. As did the Raiders, Jets, and Browns just take turns finding heartbreaking ways to lose games. The Raiders got bakered. Uh, as a Rams fan, Ronan, how do you feel? Good. Uh, great, obviously. Uh, that was probably the most excited I've been about a football game since the Super Bowl. Uh, so, yeah, to just kind of put that into context. But honestly, I, I think the game really turned whenever Josh Jacobs uh, injured his – I don't know if it was his pinky, it was, it was his hand or maybe a finger. Uh, but that, that kind of, to me, was the – turn of the game uh, because the Raiders offense was just kind of depleted after that. And I, I don't know exactly when that was, and they might've been struggling leading up to that. Uh, but that to me was just really whenever it was like, all right, we might be able to, we might be able to steal this thing. And uh, man, how insane is it that Baker Mayfield of any of all quarterbacks arrives 48 hours before or yeah 40 hours ago and then runs a two-minute offense to win the game uh, on Thursday night football uh, that was one of the more impressive things I've seen from a quarterback in terms of just situational uh you know and in, in the game and outside of it uh with all that had gone on throughout that week I mean he was a panther a week ago or uh, at, at the time of the game a week ago so uh yeah that, that was one of the more impressive things I've seen and uh, kudos to Baker. He might've just earned himself a uh, guaranteed, not money wise, but he's going to get a contract next year. Simon, if you're a Raiders fan, how are you feeling right now? Because I mean, I'll, I'll rephrase it this way. Obviously the playoffs are gone, right? You've got almost no shot of that. So you're feeling bad, but do you still expect this team the next few weeks to hit it hard and still be dangerous, or do you expect a collapse here? I guess is what I'm really asking. Oh, man. If you're a fan, you're probably expecting a collapse, right, just because it felt like they were – it felt like the, these were the last punches they had, right? So I think it was after the Colts game or maybe the Jaguars game, weeks 9 or 10, where Derek Carr got up on the podium and, and – had tears in his eyes right about guys you know not wanting to be Raiders and everyone knows behind the scenes like this could be cars last season and all of this stuff then they go on this great three-game winning streak two overtime wins um, two divisional wins at that so everything's feeling really good and, and then just you put up this dud uh, against the Rams and, and you lose this game at the end the way you do you kind of whimper out on offense as well their last drive right three and out on three straight runs to and just like completely teeter out of at the end of that game against one of the sorry worst teams in the NFL this season you just kind of like okay that those three wins that was probably our our last hurrah right the the last the, the last stick of dynamite that we had and now you've got some tough games coming up you know Patriots Steelers Niners Chiefs you know do you get do you get one win in that do you maybe get two wins in that and you know have a seven win season okay what does that do so it's rough and, and, you know, again, try not to look too far forward, but there's a lot of holes 
there's a lot to not be that excited about. And and if I'm a fan, I'm also not that excited or confident in my coach. So you kind of just wonder what happened to this team. If you're in the mood for more football content from Phantom Sports Industries, subscribe to our newest podcast, the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Brandon Tim. Together, we'll take a deep dive into the data of fantasy football to get the weekly dubs and come out on top as our league's champion. We'll see you at the next episode, coming soon. Once again, this is the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast from Phantom Sports Industries. See you there. Okay, let's jump into the Eagles and the Giants. Uh, I'm going to state the obvious here. The Eagles had a great day and basically everything went right. Okay, so once we move past that, uh, Roland, how do you feel about the Eagles? And I'm going to ask a question here. Uh, can the Giants uh, – not can they, I know they can. Do the Giants actually make the playoffs, yes or no, Roland? Well, I feel like the Eagles are a bunch of bullies and uh, that their team fits their city very well. Uh, you know, whenever you think of Philly fans, you think of Rowdy, you think of, you know, kind of pushing and shoving. That's exactly what this Eagles team is. And uh, to answer whether or not the Giants will make the playoffs, you know, that, that I think that they have a better shot than the Commanders. Uh, so right now, I believe the Commanders are sitting at the sixth seed and the Giants are at the seventh seed uh, with the Seahawks at the eight and the Lions at the nine. So, you know, it's a relatively close-knit race. I think the Giants will get in, though, uh, and I think that they have the potential to actually move up to that sixth seed. There's a lot going on there in the NFC. Somebody's hearts are going to get broken, and somebody's job is going to get saved. We'll find out who it is. As we go down the stretch, Simon, I'm going to ask you this, because this is always fascinating to me. We can all talk about how good the Eagles are, how good the Chiefs are, how good the Bills are, how good the Ravens, the Bengals, anybody, Cowboys, how good they are. But when it comes to playoffs and Super Bowl time and, and you're looking to beat these teams, let's let's cover the uh, Eagles right now. How would you attack the Eagles if you've got a pretty decent decent lineup yourself? you got a good defense. I mean, the Obviously, the perfect way and, and the overused way to talk about this is, oh, just get after the quarterback with four um, and, and drop seven, right? That That's the best way you could do it. And it that is true, um, but Jalen Hurts adds the running element that's so dynamic and so prolific that uh, not really any other quarterback has. So what you also have to be able to do when you're rushing Jalen Hurts so you have to be able to contain the outside as well. So that means you need to get just as much interior pass pressure from your defensive tackles as you are getting from your outside linebackers and edge rushers because they're also making sure he doesn't leak out, right? So then you go to the next level and you talk about your linebackers. You have to be able to send them on a blitz every now and again without getting burned. Um, and, and that's really the best way to do it with those guys, you know, attack, attack, because there's no point in leaving one as a spy, right? Because no no linebacker is going to spy Jalen Hurts. The only one that maybe has a chance is Micah Parsons. But when the Cowboys play the Eagles, they're going to want him to rush off the edge. So they're not even putting him in that off-ball position like they were last year. Um, so, so you know, at that point, you're, you're just removing somebody from a blitz that you could be using to plug up a hole and try to bounce him outside, try to bounce Hurts outside while containing the edge with that defensive end. 
And then on the back end, those receivers have been so dynamic. So you're going to need as good of man corners as you can get because Devonta Smith is such a smart and good route runner that he's going to find openings in his own. AJ Brown is so tough and strong that he's going to work himself into the middle of any zone. And he's just going to, yeah, like Ronan said, bully anybody that comes to him. Now, some of these other t- top teams in the NFC uh, have good man cover corners, right? Charverius Ward had a good game against Tyree Kill uh, against the Dolphins two weeks ago. Dallas has Trayvon Diggs, who is getting better in that regard as well. Um, so they, there, there are some teams that are going to be able to put up, have some tough matchups, but, but it's really about can you attack Hurts while keeping him in the pocket as well? Because if you attack him and he sneaks out on you, then it's, you know, all, all hell is breaking loose at that point. We already knew, even before the season started, before we realized how good the Eagles could be, that they play kind of a very weird uh, offense. And you've already mentioned that Jalen Hurts can go sideline to sideline. And when he needs to, he can pop it deep. That's not his trademark move, but he can. And that offensive line, they tend to go left and right as well. They tend to do some odd things as well. They block well in the interior. It's not easy, but I do think there are, there are teams out there who can give the Eagles uh, a run for their money, and we will look forward to that in the playoffs as well. Uh, Ronan, anything else about the Eagles and Giants before we move on? No, sir. All right, let's move on to Ben's burning questions, and it's going to be in the form this week of Simon Says What? And in the natural tradition of this program, Ronan is going to be answering the questions <laughs> in the Simon Says What uh, segment. The questions we put together seem to fit uh, Ronan a lot better. Uh, Ronan, question number one. The Lions are the blank best team in the NFC right now. Basically, forget the playoffs, for, for, forget anything future, but right now they are the blank best team in the NFC. Yeah, so I took this question as they're the – or how dangerous are they, right? And I had them in as the fifth most dangerous team in the NFC. Uh, I have the Eagles, Cowboys, 49ers, and Vikings ahead of them. Now, this Vikings, you know, they just, the Lions just beat the Vikings pretty easily uh, on Sunday, but I've still got the Vikings ahead of them just for the sole fact that their defense is a little bit more reliable than Detroit's. Uh, Now, I I don't think it's necessarily disputable between the Eagles, Cowboys, and 49ers. Uh, Now, one team you might not notice in there is the Buccaneers. that offense, you never know. I mean, they just put seven points up. Granted, it was the 49ers' defense. But, I mean, the 49ers are a playoff team. And uh, they they got borderline shut out. And then you look at the Lions and what they're doing against a playoff team and the Vikings, and uh, they're borderline stomping them. Uh, yeah, I'm rolling with the Lions are the fifth best team in the NFC at the moment. I love it. It's exciting to talk about them being any kind of a dangerous team in any way. And I think I would put them in at fourth. But no matter where you put them, the fact that a year ago they were almost the laughing stock of the league and here now just a year later, they are a dangerous football team no matter where you place them. Question number two, true or false, Ronan? Sean Payton will be a head coach in the NFL next year. True. And I think uh, there are going to be multiple teams that reach out to him. Uh, and I have three teams listed. I'm sure I missed a couple, and please let me know if I did. Uh, but the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Cardinals are all three teams uh, that I think Sean Payton would be very interested uh, to get into. 
Uh, Brandon Staley might be on his way out if the Chargers can't find themselves in the playoffs. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, he, you know, usually head coaches are given at least two years, uh, unless your name is Urban Meyer and own a pair of finger guns. Uh, But, you know, and then the Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury, uh, he just got extended, but it, I, I could see a scenario where uh, management might not be the happiest with him and the, the production that Arizona has been putting on the field this season. So uh, yeah, Simon, I, I saw, I saw Simon's eyes bug. So <laughs> Give I, it I've got to get his thoughts. Brandon Staley's not going anywhere, guys. We got to put that to rest now. He, he game planned the heck out of that Miami Dolphins game on prime time. Um, played everything perfectly from not only his typical fourth down decisions, but to, replicate what the 49ers defense did with his own defense which is already bad but they were also on three cornerbacks that I'd never even heard of behind Asante Samuel were all playing in that game or three defense backs I should say Derwin James didn't play obviously Joey Bose has been out Sebastian Joseph Day was out um they were replicating things that Fred Warner did with Drew Tranquil and and Kenneth Murray they were rep- they were replicating things that guys like Jimmy Ward and and Charvarius Ward were doing with I don't even remember their names I think there was a Mike Williams in there somewhere um let's see do I have it written down I don't it doesn't matter um it's just the the players that they were playing with and, and the way they completely dominated that game I know it ended up being like close score wise. But that game plan was perfect from top to bottom, and he did it on prime time. I, I don't think Brandon Staley's going anywhere. I do have like six other teams, though, that I'm just going to say real quick. Colts, Texans, if they want to make Lovey Smith escape a goat. Uh, I'm with you on Broncos. Raiders, uh, I think, should be on this list. They probably won't be, though. Bucks, question mark. Does Todd Bowles kind of get out of there and just be done with it all? Uh, Panthers, obviously. Saints, do they give up on Dennis Allen? And, and then Cardinals, I also have. Well, see, Listen, Brandon the... Staley probably isn't going anywhere, but he should at least be on the table for consideration. Very few coaches have underperformed to his degree, even coaches who had the same extent of injuries that he's had. You look over at the Ravens, they continue to perform even with more injuries. He should be under consideration, but I agree. I don't, I don't think he's going anywhere. Ronan? It seems like he's wanting to go to a bigger market, though. So that's why I'm, and it, I doubt he wants to undergo any sort of rebuild. So that's why Carolina or Houston, I, I kind of faded away from, but 100%. I mean, if he wants some sort of, you know, rebuild, you know, something to work for, uh, yeah, th- those would be really good options. But the way that I kind of see it, he's already a, a made coach. Uh, he, I would assume he'd want to you know, just be inserted into a, uh, an already furnished offense. So here's the thing, even though Tom Brady's a free agent, but Buck's staff goes, then the Saints staff gets fired. Sean Payton goes to the Bucks, brings his old staff with him. Tom Brady comes back, and they run it back. Wow. Just gonna, I'll, just, I'll just say that. I'll just say that. It just blew my mind, Simon. I like it. <laughs> We'll have plenty of time to talk about all of that during the offseason. I had to throw it in. But another move that maybe could have, should have, who knows, waited for the offseason, question three, Rona, the Titans, true or false, should have waited till season's end to fire their general manager, John Robinson. 
I'm going to go with true because, you know, we've kind of referenced it before. Uh, mid-season changes can do one of two things, and that, that's either bring everyone together and they kind of hunker down, uh, kind of like the Rich Passaccia story last year, or things kind of fall apart. And uh, things are relatively, at the moment, I'm not saying things are over with. Uh, I, I, I don't see any of the AFC South teams, teams catching fire anytime soon. Uh, but the, the Titans are kind of falling apart. Um, obviously, that can turn on the flip of a dime, but, you know, I'm not big on the Titans moving forward. Uh, I, I get why they fired him. Uh, it, can we all agree that probably 75% of the reason he got fired was the A.J. Brown trade? Is that can, yes. we, can we all just yes, agree I agree. On that? <laughs> Yeah, I, I understand the move, um, but that, that was probably something that, at least in my opinion, could have waited until the offseason because it wouldn't have really mattered whether he was the GM or not uh, you know, in week 17, and then he gets the can right after the game, uh, or week 18 now. Uh, but you know, just with it, – it adds adversity. It adds more people – more eyeballs are on the Titans. Oh, why, why is he getting fired? That's – my take on it, at least. Ronan, number four, Brent, uh, I'm sorry, Baker Mayfield should have a what kind of, how many years, and what, how many millions of dollars of contract with the Rams next year? I'm going to, we're going to hit Juno Smith here in a second, but I'm going to keep it here with you with the Rams. You are a Rams fan, so I'll just keep it there. At what number and how many years are you okay with him coming back? If you are okay with him coming back, because a lot of people like to refer to him as a locker room cancer. They don't even want him in house at all. And then other people look at his playmaking ability and they're, they're okay with it. So start with, do you want him back? And then let's talk about a little bit of years and dollars here. I don't know, man. He was in that locker room for not even 48 hours and he was already headbutting teammates and everybody was all hyped up in the locker room around him. Uh, it, it seems like I think Van Jefferson was quoted saying after the game, uh, I'm really happy he's here. So it seems like there are guys in the locker room who are happy to see Baker. And, uh, you know, with Matthew Stafford's injury situation and, uh, you know, whether or not he plays next year kind of up in the air, uh, he's uh, he hasn't really said anything about it. It's been more media kind of stirring the pot, but it is a valid question you know, with him you know, having a neck contusion and having numbness in his legs. Uh, you know, a plan B is not, not bad, especially whenever you're the Rams and you have that wheeling and dealing mentality, being able to have a backup plan and uh, kind of be able to move forward if your quarterback does go down would be wildly beneficial. So Ben, to answer your question on the uh, year and money, I'd like to see Baker back, uh, I'd like to see it at a one-year deal for $12 million. Uh, the reasoning behind that, Jameis Winston's getting about 14 a year, uh, and he was kind of that fringe. We don't know whether or not he's going to start, but we think he's going to start. So 14 seems fair for Jameis. To me, 12 for Baker seems fair. Uh, I personally don't think Baker should be getting paid more than Jameis. So that was kind of the uh, – groundwork I went with there uh so yeah one year 12 million dollars if the Rams need to use them use them and uh, if he succeeds sign him for you know 
long term if need be. Runner, real quick, I, I, I'm going to phrase it another way. Nobody in Cleveland misses Baker Mayfield, and I don't think anybody in Carolina misses Baker Mayfield. If he were to get, say, a two- or three-year deal at maybe 15 a year from some other team, I don't think he's going to. But if he were, uh, how would you feel about, is it, okay, that's life in the NFL, move on? Or would you be like, man, we kind of missed an opportunity there? Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't view that as necessarily a missed opportunity. Uh, okay. I think you could go into free agency and find you know, probably someone, uh, definitely not someone with his experience uh, in terms of playoff. Uh, you'd have to be pretty lucky to find a quarterback who has a playoff win under their belt in free agency. Uh, but I think you could find relatively the same quality in production, at least to a week-to-week basis. Because what happened last week, I would assume, is not going to be the regular. Okay, fair enough. And that's something we'll continue to follow for weeks and weeks and then months and months as well. Uh, I'm going to keep it here. Question number five with Ronan. Well, let's talk about Juno Smith instead, your Seahawk rivals, and then Simon will jump in on this in a second as well. Let me give us some context, though, because it's really easy to say that the Seahawks should do this. We're going to talk about our favorite teams here. Aaron Rodgers is currently on a basically a three-year, $150 million deal. Uh, Derek Carr, probably closer to maybe where Juno Smith may or may not end up, is at a three-year, $121 million deal. Dak Prescott is on a four-year, 160. Jacoby Brissett, who's a backup, is all the way down at one year, $4.5 million. And then a couple of guys who may or may not fall into this kind of Geno Smith category would be Jared Goff at four years, $134 million, and then Kirk Cousins at two years, $67 million. These are enormous cap hits. These are not small. And a lot of people are going to be saying fair market value for Geno Smith, and yet it's been all of one season. So, Ronan, I will start with you. Where do you draw the line in terms of actual money that you would be okay with watching the Rams spend? Because it's going to take – Geno Smith's going to get basically a three-year deal, and basically those first two seasons are going to be guaranteed, more or less. That's basically what's going to happen. So let's assume it's a three-year deal with two of them guaranteed. But money-wise, how much cap space are you okay with watching the Rams, your team, devote toward Geno Smith each year? You know – that's tough because if if he were playing for the Rams, uh, I would value him probably a little bit less. Uh, I mean, if he were the starting quarterback, you know, I, you, I'm going to answer it from the Seahawks perspective because I, I think that's a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot I don't easier, know how, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I'd pay Geno honestly, uh, as because you know we have Matthew Stafford. But then, you know, if you swap the two out, you know, I, I, 20 a year, which is what I have down for what I think uh, Gino's going to be getting from Seattle, because I personally don't think he's going to be getting that $100 million contract. Uh, I think he takes a relatively team-friendly deal because he knows that the Seahawks are the only team that, you know, will consider signing him long-term uh, to any sort of you know, large amount of money. At least at this point, I, I don't necessarily know if the Texans or a team like that are going to bring Geno in on, you know, a $25, $30 million a year deal. Uh, so I personally think that Geno's going to get a two to three year, $20 million a year deal. Uh, that way, the Seahawks have flexibility to be able to maybe develop someone and uh, promote, promote them, you know, eventually. 
but Gino also finally gets his payday. That's well-deserved. All right, Simon, there's so much to unwrap here. We're not going to unwrap it all tonight because we've got the entire offseason to do it. But let's talk about your Steelers real quick. You've got a rookie quarterback there with Kenny Pickett. Um, how would you feel? Again, we're not talking about the Seahawks. We're talking about your Steelers. Would you be at all interested? And if so, you know, let's say it's a three-year deal with the first two guaranteed. Um, what money line would you not want to cross with Geno Smith? Yeah, I mean, uh, context withstanding, right? With, with the with the rookie first-round quarterback, you're not going to go and, and do this. But let's say this was last year, right? Or, or let's say Ben had played one more year and the Steelers were on a fresh slate, right? And what would I be looking at? Unfortunately, what, what fans of teams don't want to hear is you have to follow the market. You can't just decide what your team would be happy or not happy to do. I think Ronan is very close on his number, about 20 mil a year, um, because that's just, you know, that's the minimum for like a good starting quarterback now. That's just the market for the position. And you also have to follow the market on year to year. So you can't take a contract necessarily that was signed three years ago and follow that as a blueprint. You have to go with the here and now, right? So just last season, Kirk Cousins, if you wanted to go the one-year route, signed a $35 million contract for one season. Um, but if you wanted to look at something that was a little more long-term, yeah, you mentioned Derek Carr. That's about $40 million. Um, I don't think you have to quite get that high because those guys are pretty institutionalized as long-term starters with those teams. But I think there's almost a tax you have to add to yourself of it's not going to be the number you necessarily want, right? Because a, a good starting quarterback, even if he's not like an MVP or a guy that we consider a top five or a guy that can win you a Super Bowl, is still going to cost big money. So I had about 30 to $35 million for Geno. I think that's right. I think if, if seeing what he did this year, right, this isn't taking a risk on – the guy that's still been a backup, right? This is this is the guy leading the league in completion percentage. This is the guy putting up big production. This is the guy who immediately came in and had rapport with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. This is the guy that has won games by having explosive offense and coming back in close games. Um, he's executing this offense, a very modern day, uh, 2022 offense, very, very well. Um, not forcing a lot of plays, not having a lot of turnovers. This is the kind of quarterback you want. This is the kind of quarterback you can win with if you have a good team. And that's going to cost you, yeah, I'd say at least $30 million. I wouldn't go above 40 though. He, I don't think he gets the Derek Carr money who gets a little bit extra for being with uh, the Raiders for so long. I don't think he's quite in, in terms of where he is in the market sitting right there. But I think he's just under that. So in the like 30 to $35 million a year for about two to three seasons is what I had for Gino. All right, so there you have it. Uh, not super committal there from either guy for their team, but uh, for Seattle, they think it's a good move. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go for it, Seattle. Give them 40. I don't really care. Yes, the, Seahaw the Seahawks should definitely do it, but the Rams and Steelers, maybe not so much. <laughs> I think that's the way it is for most NFL teams. I mean, it's, again, and I do think Seattle's going to figure out a way to get this done, but uh, it's, it's a lot easier to talk about Seattle doing it than Geno Smith moving to your town. And, you know, the same cap number starting to apply there because it, it will be a big cap for a guy who's only done it for one year so far. Uh, we have never seen this side of Geno Smith before, uh, at, at least on a consistent basis. All right. We're now going to do Ronan's report card in which Simon will be answering the questions. <laughs> it is backwards day here, but that's all right. Ronan's report card. 
Uh, we're going to start off with Simon. We'll, we'll let uh, Ronan pop in a couple of grades as well. Simon, uh, number one, the Jets' defense against the Bills on Sunday. Give it a grade. I'm going to go with an A-. minus. They were really, really good. They were really, really physical up front. That was such a fun game to watch from a physicality standpoint. You have low-scoring games in the NFL because of bad offense, and you have low-scoring games in the NFL because of good defense. This was good defense. They were getting after Josh Allen, making him make plays on his own, which he did. Obviously, it's what he does. But they, they made it hard for him every step of the way. The defensive backs limited the the Bills wide receivers from having really, really big games, which was nice to see. You knew those guys, you know, DJ Reed, Sauce Gardner, um, were going to have a, a lot of pressure on them and a lot of eyes on them, and, and they played well. So A-minus for this group just being really strong, tough, physical, um, and a group that is also one of the better defensive teams in the NFL for sure. Yeah, they are, and that's no joke. We could put them in the top five. Ronan did a few weeks ago. I left them out, but this is a legit top five defense. That, statistically, that that's up and down, but when you watch them on the field, this is a legit top five defense. Number two, Mitchell Trubisky's performance against the Ravens. Uh, Simon, this is right up your alley. Let's start with you. Uh, what, how, what grade would you give here? I think I'm going to go slightly higher than you guys expect, and I'm going to go with a D. Um Trubisky was fine between the 20s. This is thing that think, something that Steelers fans do not want to hear, so I'm sorry, Steelers Nation. He was fine between the 20s. He threw for over 200 yards. He was pretty productive. He moved the ball. Um, he was pushing the ball downfield. But <laughs> those three interceptions, man, those were all ugly too. Trey Essex, a former Steelers offensive lineman who does a lot of uh, Steelers interaction and, and coverage online, um, made a great note and, and you could see it clear as day in the replay that first interception that Trubisky threw he thought that space was going to get cleared out by Steven Sims uh to open up Pat Fryermuth the issue was Steven Smith Steven Sims ran the wrong route bringing in another defender the problem with that defense of Trubisky was the next time in the red zone he still he threw another interception to the backside linebacker so he he made the same mistake twice so that's why that a route by Steven Sims is like 50 50 because he did it again later. And then the one to Deontay Johnson, he just threw up in, in double coverage. He went full. I'm a backup quarterback now. So I'm going to be a gunslinger instead of when I was the starter. Uh, I, I'm going to be kind of timid because I don't want to make a mistake, which, which I guess is fine. That's kind of the mentality you want to have. But, uh, and he still was pushing the ball downfield. But those three turnovers, all on the Ravens side of the field, the first two were both in the red zone. Just complete drive killers in a in a game that you know was two points uh, at the end of the game. So I'm gonna go with a D for Trubisky, not quite an F because he was fine between the twenties, but but those mistakes just absolutely killed the team. Rona quickly, great for Trubisky. Yeah, well, you know, I have a Steelers friend, and uh, I've I've heard him rant about the three interceptions over the past twenty four hours. And uh, so I was initially just going to give Trubisky an F, uh, but after, you know, kind of looking into it and for all of those reasons that Simon listed, I'm actually going to agree with Simon, hey, uh, and give him a D. Uh, it, it, it was enough to pass, uh, but borderline. Simon, I, you can uh, dispute the scoring here if you want, but I think this is going to be the second question that you, that I did not prepare you guys for. Um, if Pickett stays in this game, do the Steelers win? Well, Simon said it's four now, but 
Oh yeah, we hit the over, baby. We're we're going to McDonald's tonight or something. Okay, we over. didn't even discuss the injuries, by the way. So add that to like, I mean, that's like four right there in the first like. Five oh minutes. yeah, we we crushed it. We we killed that. We're gonna have that Vegas is gonna set that line much much higher next week. They they figured much it out. Much higher next week. Um. Yeah, I think I think Pickett I think Pickett wins this game. Um. He he was in for two series. The the first one. When things weren't open, what he's learned to do is just tuck the ball and run. Um, and, and he does it a little earlier than I would like in some instances. But since the bye week, he had not thrown an interception. The Steelers hadn't had a turnover for four straight games. That had not happened since the 30s for this team. This has not happened in Mike Tomlin's tenure, Bill Cowher's tenure, Chuck Knowles' tender, tenure. Um they they didn't they would not turn the ball over so let, let's even bank in one right just because regression to the mean likelihood that you don't have any turnovers for five straight games that's like pantheon stuff um three turnovers like that I, I don't see Pickett doing so even if he wasn't gonna put up the same put put up any kind of real production on his own I think he takes care of the ball a little bit more it becomes a classic Chris Boswell versus Justin Tucker game and, and the Steelers probably pull it out. All right. Well, I'm a, if I'm a Steelers fan and I'm not, but if I were, I, I, that would make me feel good in the long term about Pickett, even though this was a brutal loss to take here uh, in the short term. Rolling back to you, number three, uh, grading Tua Tagovailoa's performance against the Chargers. We already talked about it a little bit. Go ahead and give it to us uh, a legit grader. You know, he 18 for what was it, 30? 10 for 28. Eight, 18. Where did I get that from? <laughs> Yeah. You were just um, trying to help him out. I understand. It's fine. Yeah. I, I'd have to give him a C minus. And that's probably being generous. Very generous. Here's my thing with Tua. Here's my thing with Tua. Let me see if I can get you to change your answer a little bit. If, oh, Michael Davis was the backup cornerback's name that I forgot earlier. Shout out Michael Davis, who had a very good game. But if he doesn't trip and fall on Tyreek Hill's long touchdown, Here's what Tua's stat line would be. Nine for 28 for 85 yards. All right, Tyreek so... Hill had a 60-yard touchdown only because Michael Davis tripped and fell. I'm actually going to roll with a D- minus because, uh, well, A, I was not prepared at all uh, for that question. There's five. Yeah. And B, uh, the Chargers were playing without multiple starters on defense. Uh, so giving that C minus answer, I didn't take that into consideration, nor the uh, Tyree Kill information. So I, I'm going to be rolling with probably a D D minus. Okay, um, Simon, your your opinion on Mike McDaniel the last two games? Let's give him an actual grade. Yeah, so you know, you know, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, and, and I actually agree with Ronan on this one. I have a C minus for Mike McDaniel. Um, it, it, I don't blame him too much for the 49ers game. 49ers are a fantastic defense, probably a top two defense in the NFL. And they match up perfectly for what the Dolphins already have done and had success with, right? So Mike McDaniel wasn't going to walk into the 49ers game and all of a sudden do something completely different from what they're good at, right? That's not good coaching. Do you maybe want him to make some adjustments going into the Chargers game? Yes, but you know you're facing a much worse defense with much with, with their second and third stringers in. So 
you know, there's kind of a little bit of, hey, guys, let's do what we do against this worst team and get back on track. And it didn't work. So so that's why I kind of go from a C to like, oh, it was fine to a C minus. Maybe you'd like some adjustments. The real test is going to be next week. Okay, this press man coverage, man-to-man defense, um, pressure on Tua has hurt you for two straight weeks. What are you going to do now? So so that's what I'm really looking for uh, at this point. But I, I'm going to go with a C minus. It was fine, a little worse than I would like. But, you know, I could deal with it right now as long as it gets better. I'm going to go ahead and give a grade on this one, too. And I, I'm not giving grades on all of these. I'm going to give them a D plus on the Chargers game. Simon, I'm with you in terms of that 49ers game. They were up against it anyway. That was a bad matchup. No matter which way you slice it, that was a bad matchup for, for the Dolphins against the 49ers. They had to have this Chargers game. They they absolutely had to have it. The schedule stays tough from here on out. You're going up against the Chargers team that is one of the two worst teams at stopping the run in the NFL. They have been awful at it almost all year long. A few weeks ago, we thought the Dolphins were about to get serious running the football with Mostert and Wilson. That has completely evaporated. In the first half against the Chargers, they ran the ball six, roughly six times. Uh, several of those were stopped. Three or four of those were stopped for little or no gain. But it was obvious they weren't committed to it. They weren't, weren't even really trying to do that. It was just like something they would throw in every once in a while. The game plan seemed obvious, and I realized this, the Chargers secondary was all banged up. This one was just a layup here. They should have come out committed to run the football, take that pressure off of Tagovailoa and off of that offensive line. It would have done wonders. That's something they need to do in the long term anyway. They're not going to romp through the AFC with Tagovailoa throwing th- for 350 every week. They've got to get serious about running the football. It may be too late heading to Buffalo on Saturday night. We'll see. The Phantom Football Podcast is brought to you by Prediction Strike. Does the idea of the stock market interest you, but you aren't really sure what you're doing? Check out Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is an app where you can invest in athletes like stocks. Buy and sell your stock in an athlete as their value rises and falls. Build your own portfolio of players and sell players before you think they're going to plummet. Download the app and use the code Phantom at sign up. That's F-A-N-T-O-M. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Simon, number five, let's talk about uh, Tom Brady on the whole year. Let's give him a grade. I want to give him a bad grade, but it's hard when there's so much going wrong with the Bucks and the Bucks offense. I'm going to give him a C. You know, it's fine. It, you know, it's Tom Brady. Every once in a while, you're going to get the big two-minute drive. Um, every once in a while, you're you're gonna get a game against the Seahawks in Germany, and it's gonna look pretty good. But here's the thing, like you know, I know a lot was made early on about the offensive line. His protection's been solid, and, and he gets rid of the ball so quickly that I'm not really worried about his offensive line holding him a pass protection. Um, what really stands out is, is the connection with the receivers, particularly Mike Evans. I think Mike Evans has the most yards and potential touchdowns missed for a, a pass that was off by six inches in the entire league. Um, they, they're just not on the same page this year, and, and Brady doesn't seem to be on the same page with anybody. You go to look at his raw stats, and, and yeah, he's in the top five in yards and, and somewhere in the like top 15 in completion percentage, somewhere decent in touchdowns, but that's not even that great. Um but it's because he's also leading the league in attempts because their run game is so poor. He's throwing the ball over and over and over again. So he's getting his yards and he's getting his numbers. 
but in terms of what we expect and those those deep touchdown passes and, and methodical drives downfield, we're not getting that. And I think a lot of that does go on Brady. So I, I I'll go with the C just because yeah, he's still putting up the numbers and and you know you want him in a game, right? They're they're still not like twenty quarterbacks that you would rather have than Tom Brady in a game this season, but. It's a little misleading just looking at the numbers, and there's a lot that's kind of left on the bone right now that Brady is not taking advantage of. Ronan, the grade for Tom Brady on the year? Not much different from Simon. I'm going to go – I'm a little bit more lenient. I'm giving him a C-plus because it is still Tom Brady. And, uh, you know, even at his worst, he's playing better than a lot of other people. Uh, you know, like Simon said, he's throwing it a ton, which is why he's – I believe fourth in the league in passing yards. Uh, but right now, as, as it stands, uh, he's at 6.2 yards per, uh, I believe it's completion. I don't know if it's completion or attempt, uh, but, but he's at his worst uh, in his career. At 6.2, if the season were to end right now, it would be the worst that he's ever done in his career. So I think a C, C plus for Tom Brady is relatively accurate for uh how he's played this season because it's probably this to me feels a lot like his 2019 season uh, as he was heading out of new England. It's just definitely not his best play, uh, but still enough to keep his team in the conversation. Let's do one final question. It's about your favorite teams. Um, Steelers and the Rams. I'll start with Ronan. Who has the better starting quarterback next year? There's a lot on the table, especially on the Rams side of things. And then, development-wise for the Steelers, but Ronan, who has the better starting quarterback next year between those two teams? Okay, in terms of talent or who's more comfortable with their quarterback situation? (laughs) Because I think that is, uh, in terms of talent, I think... He's not going to help you out like that. Yeah, in terms of talent, I think I'd go Matthew Stafford. Uh, But in terms of who should be more comfortable with their quarterback uh, situation over the next five years... I'd probably have to say the Steelers because with Matthew Stafford's injury concerns, uh, there's no guarantee that he plays outside of this year, uh, let alone next year. So, uh, yeah, my two answers for your one question. (laughs) Simon, go ahead. (laughs) The fact that Ronan – thought he was just going to sneak in two answers or or do the Ronan just did the you remember being in like seventh grade and, and you're taking a test and and you answer like the first 20 questions and you've got five left and you're like okay if I miss all five of these it's not going to be great but if I go talk to the teacher about this one I bet they'll let me backdoor them into giving me an answer and Ronan just thought that was happening and, you know, it worked the first couple of weeks with that teacher, but then, you know, now it's December and they're like, I'm not telling you the answer. And you just have to go back to your seat dejected. You know, everyone's looking at you. That's what Ronan just did just now. Um, sorry, Ronan, I shouldn't talk about tests right after. Hey, man, week. I apologize. You know, it's, it's a broad question. You know, who's the better quarterback? I mean, I'm, you know, in terms I'm just of the a little eye confused test, on this question. This is how Super it goes. Bowl. Um, the only caveat I'm going to give for my answer is. Matt Stafford is an NFL player next season. That's all I'm going to say. Matt Stafford versus Kenny Pickett. I'm going to go with Matt Stafford. I I have a very strong feeling, and I know there's like a 20% chance that the Rams come back and look completely different next year 
right? There's a chance there's, there's no Stafford. There's a chance there's no Donald. There's a chance that a lot of things change. I'm going to go with the majority and what's most likely and that Stafford's going to play and Cooper Cup's going to be healthy. They're going to make an improvement on the offensive line and they're going to get basically back to normal and, and Stafford's still going to be the better quarterback. So I'm going to go with Stafford. Only caveat, my little asterisk is that Stafford is playing. If Stafford retires and Baker Mayfield's the quarterback, that's Kenny Pickett all day. All day. But I'm assuming Stafford's there, and I will say confidently Stafford will be better next season than Kenny Pickett. All right. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Simon's going to tell us where, tell everybody where you can find more of our content at. Thank you all so much for listening to the Phantom Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Phantom Football. You can email us at phantomfootballpod at gmail.com with any questions or you just want to yell at us like I yell at Ronan um, and Ben yells at me and Ronan yells at Ben. Uh, if you want to join in on that, just you know, send us an email, all caps, bolded, underlined. That would be great. We will read it on air and it will be a lot of fun for us. Um, so make sure you do that. Make sure you subscribe where you listen to us, whether it's on Apple or Spotify, give us rates, reviews, five stars, five stars, all that good stuff. Um, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Have a good one.